on. It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we hung out with Charles, a.k.a. Black Bach, over Zoom video. Charles was born and raised in Detroit, and he talks about how he got into music. His mom has a lot of music on her side of the family. She put him in piano lessons starting at four years old. The deal was you have to do piano from four to 18, and when you hit 18, you can you can give it up. But until then, you're playing piano. So he's always been a pianist. He played drums and percussion in the school band. He talked about the jazz bands he was in, moving down to Florida to attend college, the jazz band he was in in Detroit, and then uh, which relocated to Florida. He talks about that. Moving eventually to Orlando to pursue a career in audio engineering and recording. And there he met someone who changed his life, put him on tour with Justin Timberlake as Justin Timberlake's piano player and keyboardist. And that led him into a whole different career path as a touring keyboardist for major acts, Rihanna, Backstreet Boys, John Mayer, ton of major, major acts. He also tells us all about this new project he has called Black Bach, which is all piano based. There's no lyrics, no vocals, all him just on piano. The record he released is called Black Book. He talks to us about that and the collaboration with the album that's coming out soon where he teamed up with a poet and and it'll go his song and then the poem that accompanies it. You can watch the interview with Black Bach on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Black Bach. What's up, man? How are you, Charles? <laughs> What's up, Adam? <laughs> What's going on? I appreciate uh, you doing this. Thanks for having me, man. This is, this is fun. <laughs> Rad. Well, this podcast is about you, uh, your journey in music, and mm -hmm. we'll talk about the new record. Okay. Cool. Sweet. Awesome. Easy peasy. Sweet, sweet, sweet. I saw you're born in what, Detroit area? Yeah, Detroit. Tell me about that. Born and raised? Born and raised in Detroit. Yeah, West Side. Um, what a great city to be born in, you know? Music everywhere. Sure, sure. Yeah. And you got you came from a musical household? Is that what I saw? Uh, well, my mother's side was a musical, uh, was the musical side of the family. My father's side, not so much. Um, my mother's sides were all entertainers. My uncles were tap dancers and saxophonists. And my grandfather was an organist in Memphis. So uh, all the music and stuff came from that side of the family. Amazing. Sorry, real quick. I think something's like, it sounds like metal is scratching on like the mic, maybe. Maybe I'm tripping. Maybe it's just, maybe it's that. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry about that no, no 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 it's all good i just want to make sure that we yeah, yeah, yeah. we got the best sound cool yeah. so you said sorry real quick mom's side of the family was musical mom's side of family's musical um okay. like i said uncles were uh musicians and tap dancers and grandfather was a pianist and keyboard player and radio personality so, oh really right yeah, all that stuff came from world. that's sick yeah. okay so you started playing piano first at an early age or when yeah. you start playing started at age four wow yeah, super early. Was that something that you wanted to do or your, your mom or dad was like, hey, you should try to pick up the piano? Uh, no, mom was like, you know what? 
I'm going to teach you discipline by making you play piano. And her rule was play from four at age 18. If you want to quit, you can quit. But I just need to teach you something that you're permanently doing. And I did all the other stuff like baseball, football, basketball, all that stuff. But um, music was like permanent. Wow. So she made you do it all through up until you're 18. Yeah, up until I was 18. That's incredible. Yeah. I love yeah. that. <laughs> wow. Okay. Was it something that you were enjoyed or was it kind of, did it kind of become something like, Ugh, I like, I don't want to have to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, was it, I guess my question would be like, did that turn you on or off to it in the beginning? I mean, in the beginning it was, it was just a thing. And, you know, it was like too young to understand what was really happening around me. Um, but then, you know, of course we get into our teenage years where we get a little, a little rebellious and then it became like, uh, I don't want to do this. And mm -hmm. then, uh, a little bit later on, it became, um, wow, people are really responding to this. So now the love, um, that's where the love came from. Okay. So it took, yeah. it, it took different forms. It sounds yeah, like it took, it, yeah, it definitely transformed throughout the years. Yeah. Okay. So started at two and then are you like, when are you playing in front of people? Is it like through recitals and, and, and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, it was recitals okay. and competitions and, you know, sitting in front of our adjudicators and just the, the craziness that goes on uh, in the classical world as a kid. Mm -hmm. And yeah. did you like, did you go to like, were you in the piano or did you play? Sorry, did you play piano in the school orchestra or band or anything like that? Jazz band? Actually, what's funny is that I played percussion in the school like oh. orchestra and then i played piano in the jazz band um in okay. high school so so you uh, played you can play drums too or just yeah you can play drums too okay yeah, when did you start playing drums uh i was in marching band i was in okay. a marching band kid in, through middle school and high school so okay uh, just on the drum line and you know doing all that stuff it was really cool that was like a fun part of life what'd you draw what drew you to drums say again what drew you to the drums like um I don't know. It was just, a, you know, I was just like beating on stuff. Like I would beat on <laughs> stuff at home. So it just kind of translated into, okay, there's actually something, there's a real form for me to, you know, express myself in this way. So uh, I just joined the marching band. Plus it was fun. It was, you know, like band kids, band geeks. I was with it. You know, they were all my friends. So mm -hmm. um, just being around uh, all the band people all the time was real cool. When did you start writing songs? Uh, I would say around high school. Okay. Um, that's when I started writing. I was really into jazz at that time. And I started writing jazz tunes for, uh, my quartet, um, that I had back in Detroit. So, um, that's how, that's, I can honestly say that was like the first time I experienced like writing, like songwriting in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. What was it like? Like you came up with your, a song and what presented it to the other guys in your, in your band? Yeah. Yeah. And then we would, you know, sit down and learn them and then perform them and compete with them and everything like that. So it was pretty cool to like, you know, the first time to have your songs being played is like. You know, it kind of it's kind of mind blowing. You know? Yeah, you, I mean, you were playing in competitions too. Yeah. Was what was it? so? Tell me about that. I don't. I've never heard of of a comp like a music competition like that. Like before. jazz jazz competitions. Yeah. yeah like no in, one's ever in, talked about that to me. Yeah, it was like in in college they would have like these sort of you know rival colleges from different cities and everything. They would just have competitions where all the jazz uh, uh, ensembles would get together and they would just like you know get judged upon you know who's doing you know how uh like technical you were playing yeah, or like, like, like how did they even like judge the technical like sort of the technical side the 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 musicality side uh the writing um the presentation um all those things will kind of come into play and the beautiful thing about it is that we always won 
really <laughs> never go. lost one jazz competition. I mean, really? the, thing, the advantage was that the guys that I went to college with were two of the guys from my band in Detroit. So we had already had our, our jail was already there okay. before we even got out into the world. So we had a bit of an advantage mm -hmm. um, and we exploited the hell out of that, you know, <laughs> like, sure. um, but it was, it was fun. Like being able to play your original so songs in front of uh, judges and everything and uh, being able to compete with that music was really cool. So you started a band in high school, like a jazz yeah. band? Yeah, I started a jazz band in high school called Magic. Terrible name. Okay. <laughs> did you guys play out or anything or is it just yeah like we played a... all over detroit um we did a lot of uh uh workshops with uh, a local jazz great his name is marcus belgrave well he's passed away since uh since then but um yeah we worked a lot in just like the detroit jazz circuit and uh, playing gigs locally and everything it was just fun mm -hmm. and when yeah. did you or did you go to college for music then um, so it's kind of strange. I didn't okay. go to college per se for music, like piano, like what people would think. Yeah. Like you went to I Berkeley went, for piano or something no, like I, that. Okay. I wish I could have went to Berkeley for piano, but it wasn't the situation. <laughs> uh, I went to a small black college down in Daytona beach called Bethune Cookman. Okay. And, um, that's where the other two members of the, my, um, uh, jazz band had went. Um, but I wasn't able to study any classical music there. Um, I went for about a year, two years, and then dropped out and uh, went to school for engineering at Full Sail. So um, then I learned wow. how to be a recording engineer. Yeah. Okay. Did you go down to, to college? Did you? Was there another passion that you had or is it just like, oh, I'm going to go to college? Like, we'll, we'll figure it yeah, out. Yeah, it was literally, <laughs> yeah, let's go to college. We'll figure it out when we get, okay. just got to get away from Detroit. Let's get away from. You know, okay. So, so you moved yeah. down there. You said Florida? Yeah, Daytona Beach. Daytona Beach. And you, the band picks up when you get down to Florida? Yeah. And what, yeah. you acquired a couple of different members or or did uh, everybody just, from your band move from Detroit down there? Yeah, everybody except for one member. So it was, oh, okay. it was three of us. We missed the fourth guy. So the fourth guy was replaced in the school. Yeah. And then you would do these competitions? Yeah, we would do these competitions. and, and, and Where would you go? Like around Florida or uh, travel yeah. all over the place? Yeah, it was like around Florida mostly. Okay. And then at what point did you decide like, Hey, like actually what I really want to do is learn to record music. Uh, that wasn't really how it happened. It okay. kind of happened. Like <laughs> I was kind of forced out. I won't, I won't, I won't tell the, the real story about how it was. It was kind of, it was a little dangerous the way, you know, this college treated me at that point. Um, oh, okay. So I had to leave. Um, and then me having to leave was just like, you know, my mom was always like, stay in school, stay in school. I was like, well, let me just go learn a different part of music, which was how to record and engineer and do those things. So I left and then went to engineering school for a year. Okay. What was it like that? It would do going there. I mean, yeah, it was I'm pretty cool. Totally different. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was totally different. Um, different experience, you know, just out on my own, uh, in Orlando, just kind of like learning my way around, uh, the recording stuff and also producing at that point and starting to make beats and stuff like that. So um, it was just a little bit different. Uh, the environment was a little bit different, but it yeah. was great. Yeah. Did you um, keep the band together or when you moved to Orlando, did that kind of end everything at the, with the yeah, band? Yeah, that dissipated. Um, I ended up playing with more local bands in Orlando. So um, it just became me just kind of being like a, a hired gun um, everywhere in Orlando and uh, okay. eventually led to some pretty big touring. Oh, really? So what was the kind of like, so you finished school and what was the, you know, what was a big moment that you the, landed? 
Yeah, the first big moment was uh, I met the musical director for NSYNC. Uh, oh, wow. And, yeah, this guy, Kevin Antunes, and he and I are like brothers now. Um, but he hired me for my first gig, which was with Justin Timberlake um, for a Justify tour. Yeah. No way. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Whoa, that's crazy. What was that like? It was incredible. I mean, one minute I was just like at his house, like tinkering around on keyboards. And then like a week and a half later, I was on Jay Leno. It was just like, <laughs> it was the wildest thing to happen, you know? And then the tour just went on. And from that tour, just, um, I just kept a reputation, a great reputation. And it went from like Justin Timberlake to Backstreet Boys to Rihanna to Justin Timberlake again, to working with Sierra and Demi Lovato <laughs> and back with Rihanna. And it just, it just kind of like, you know, it just rolled out the next, you know, 10 years or so of just being on tour with some of the best artists on the planet. That's so cool. That is yeah. so cool. So you were just, you would uh, just, just as a touring artist or touring musician with them? As a touring pianist. Yeah. And keyboard. That's so cool. Yeah. Was it hard to, you know, wrap your head around uh, these catalogs of these artists that have like, you know, so many songs and so many hits. And then it's like, you have to go in and what learn everything that they do or could possibly do. Yeah. It's pretty fun. <laughs> you know, fun. It's, it's, was it hard though? No, it's not. It's not too difficult. I, I would say the most difficult one was John Mayer because he has so many songs. And oh, he's, he's a technical he's guy. Technically. Yeah. He's a player. Like he can, it's like being in the garage with the homies again, you know? Okay. So yeah, um, that was a little bit difficult. And then, you know, it, it was different because, you know, some nights he would just feel like, oh, let's just play some Jimi Hendrix. And then we just go that direction or let's play some sting and we just go that direction. So um, it wasn't just knowing his catalog. It was just knowing music and great music in general and um, being able to kind of flow where he, you know, he go to take a left, you take a left with him. Yeah. Wow. Would he ever throw you off and be like, okay, we're gonna go this way. And you're like, uh, <laughs> or no. Yeah. The first time he wanted to play message in a bottle. Okay. Yeah, because I had, I, you know, I knew the song, but I hadn't really like learned the song. So I was kind of like, uh, it goes here, you know, oh, it goes there. So this is a little bit, um, it threw me for a quick second, but it doesn't take me long. I, I trust my ears. And, uh, you know, the guys in the band were so great that, you know, we just kind of laughed off the few mistakes that I made. Um, and then I never made them again. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. awesome. And when do you start, you know, you said you were writing songs with this jazz band, but when do you actually start your own artist project? Um, so between, uh, you know, that point and where we are now, I had a bunch of artist projects that I had done okay. that were very different. Um, R and B rap, new, new. rap, black Bach is definitely new, new. Okay. Um, so this was the first time that I had been able to really sit down and this may be due to, uh, the pandemic that I had a moment to kind of sit back and say, okay, what does my voice sound like? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's a lot of things. That's one of the things that we don't do as artists is really sit back and take the time to, you know, create the authentic version. You know, there have been many versions of what I've done artistically, but this version is the authentic version. Um, just being able to take from my pop and jazz um, background and then my classical roots mm -hmm. kind of lay classical down and then kind of pour these uh, this other seasoning of these other genre on top of it. So that's how I kind of created what uh, we do, what I do now as Black Bach. Okay. So you said you had some other projects in between, obviously now. So when you were touring, you had other various projects that you were working on yeah. and then you jump on the road and then you come home, what, and work on these projects? Yeah, sort of. That was kind of oh. like the rotation. Yeah. Okay. So when do you decide 
was it due to COVID that you had this time to sit down and really, you know, reflect and figure out what you wanted to do? A, a couple of things happened. The first thing that happened was in 2014, I did my last tour. It was called Michael Jackson Immortal with Cirque du Soleil. And, oh, wow. You know, you know, once you go, you know, Justin, Rihanna, John Mayer, Michael Jackson, you get to that point and then you just, you know, it's like the drop off. I got home and I was sitting around and I was just like, I don't have sound check. I don't have anything today. So like, what do I do with my life? Mm -hmm. And for about two years, I went through like a serious depression. It was crazy. Um, but the idea is that you pick back up and you start to discover who you are as an artist. So that's kind of where that process came from is, okay, I need a next step. I need a next thing. And the next thing should be me. Let mm -hmm. me take the time and invest in who I am as an artist, who I am as a writer. Um, so that's kind of where it stemmed from. And then my publisher said, hey, you should do a solo piano album. And I literally, I literally on the phone said, what the hell does that even mean? Because <laughs> um, I, I was completely lost. I had no idea uh, what was going on. But as a writer, you sit back and you say, how can I create stories with no words? And that mm -hmm. was kind of like the foundation of Black Bach was like, how can I write stories without words? And um, just the gap of, you know, I started and then pandemic hit right away. So I had like this big you know, chunk of time. And I wrote for 121 consecutive days to create, Whoa. yeah, to create Black Book was a, a real uh, feat of um, constant writing every day, waking up, whether it be five minutes or five hours, I would write every day for 121 days. And it was just all done piano. It's all, yeah, it's just all you piano. on the piano, right? No, yeah. no vocals, nothing. No vocals, no lyrics. And how did you, like, how were you able to get across? I mean, you have some big, especially on black book right i mean some mm -hmm. big deep um you know meaningful songs right you yeah. have like you know george floyd and the struggle for the equality like and yeah. then you're writing these songs is it just kind of off of what you were feeling at the time and then that translated into what like tell me about writing these songs yeah. i guess without lyrics so, and getting the point I, across i i think i come from i, I consider myself a painter i come from okay. from like that sort of um, world of thinking like a painter and being able to to show people through the lenses of a black man in 2022 what this world looks like to me. Mm -hmm. So as um, I had done, so, so in the case of George Floyd and the struggle for equality, like it literally ha was happening in real time. And it was one of the most difficult pieces to write on Black Book because it was happening and like the emotions were very real and palpable and like everyone felt it you know i would just turn on the tv or just like and this event was happening in front of my face so um as you hear like on the beginning of the song i'm literally just banging on the piano because i was mm -hmm. so angry like that i had to get this anger out first and then once the anger goes away it's like the sadness kind of falls on me mm -hmm. um and if you follow the whole arc of the piece you'll hear these these moments of like the anger comes back and then mm -hmm. this kind of very reflective moment happens. But in the end, it ends with the theme to we shall overcome. So it's like, you know, even though this has happened, we still need to stay strong. We still need to make sure that this doesn't happen again. We need to come together as, as one unit, as one people, as a human race, and just like make sure things like this and tragedies like this don't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was that, were you kind of taking the approach with the record? Like, did you know what you wanted to write about? And then that would, or well, I guess when it came to the album, was it like, okay, today 
this is happening. I'm going to just write about it. And then what you jot down kind of what you were thinking. And then is that what kind of came with the song title? Like how, how are you putting the songs together? Like, okay, November 7th, 2020, was that a song that you knew? Okay. I'm going to write about this event and here, and here we go. Or it was just like, this is happening today. Yeah. It needs to be this. That one was kind of like, it. I wrote an inspiring song. I wrote this a very inspiring, uplifting riff. And mm-hmm. when we finally started recording it, it had another title. It had a completely, the other title for it was The Canvas. Okay. But what ended up happening was we were watching um, the, Joe Biden had just been declared president and we were watching CNN. And as we were listening back to the track, it sounded like the soundtrack, like we, we turned off the volume on CNN and turned up the music and it was literally the soundtrack where all these people were in the streets dancing around each other and hugging and s- smiling and celebrating. It was super uplifting. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Like, I was like, what's today's date? And you were like, November 7th. I said, November 7th, 2020. That's the name of the song. So a lot of things are happening, but I'm just kind of like taking the events and kind of like, if things are happening in that time, then I'm just going with that energy. You know, I'm I'm allowing the songs to complete themselves and title themselves. I'm basically relinquishing control of everything pretty much and just letting it flow as it flows yeah that's so interesting that i mean just the the way that you present the record and just the, you know the the depth of it and then coming out with and it's just like but this is all just what i'm gonna i'm gonna speak to you on this piano right yeah i definitely. love it yeah thank you <laughs> yeah it's it's and with then you obviously did some you do some covers Mm-hmm. also that you kind of came out later in the same year right yeah with like a lot of the you know christmasy type songs yeah and yeah. so currently you have a, a couple other songs out and is this going to be part of your next project yeah so what we're doing is a re-release of um black book so the black book deluxe it'll contain the poems that were written um by this wonderful poet lauren della penna who pretty much when we first met um our objective was to give Black Book a twin sister. Okay. And these poems that she wrote about these songs, I mean, they're literally twins. Like these poems make it all make sense. So Uh, the the deluxe edition is giving you the poem, then giving you the song, the poem, the song. So now you get to kind of uh, get a little bit more of into the mindset of where we were, where I was in creation and then where she was in creating poems that go along with these songs. So they're not together. Like she didn't do a poem over what you had done. No, they're not together. They're completely separate. Yeah. So my idea for Black Book is to continuously collaborate with other artists and other genre and lend like their creativity into what we've already started. So um, I am always about collaboration. I love the, uh, that's the whole reason I do art is so I can do art with other artists. Uh So, um, yeah, this was a really cool um, meeting of minds. And was that, so she was independently working on and writing poems and writing poems. And while you're doing this record and then you happen to meet and she was like, I have this whole book of poems. And you're yeah. like, oh, or she was, she listening to your record and I knew what you were going with, with the record. And then she wrote poems to the songs. Right. So it was more like that. Like she uh, okay. would listen to the songs and then we would have long zoom conversations about like what I was feeling, where I was like, what the energy of it is. And then she would kind of go away and then she would come back like a week later with these magnificent poems. And she would say, Oh, she has this great Jamaican accent too. She says, well, Charles, I don't know if this is good. I should edit it. And I'm like, don't, 
touch it. It's perfect. <laughs> okay. Like every poem that she that she uh, had written was a first draft. Like she wow. nailed it. Like it was amazing. Yeah. Wow. So she knew what the title of the song was and kind of mm -hmm. what you were going for when you wrote the song. And then yeah. she would write her, uh, her feelings on it as well yeah. in, in a poem. Exactly. Exactly. That is so cool. Yeah. And you've done a couple other songs too, right? Uh, with Forgotten Girls and yeah. 3K Hit Club. Like, tell me yeah. about those songs. So 3K Hit Club uh, was a song that was uh, uh, written for Miguel Cabrera from the Detroit Tigers. I'm from Detroit. So this was a oh, okay. Hit. Yeah. And um, he just got his 3,000th hit. Yeah. So um, this was a song that we filmed at the, in Detroit at the Fox Theater. And then when he got his 3,000th hit, they hit play and it played the song played in the stadium and it was like a montage video. Oh, really? Performing him, him, uh, you know, just crushing like that is home so runs. sick. Like, how did yeah. you get that? How did that happen? I just one day my phone rang with an email popped up with the Detroit Tigers. I don't even know how it happened. <laughs> um, I guess someone in Detroit um, knew about me from doing an interview on NPR with uh, my good friend who's like my god sister, <laughs> Andalisi. And, you know, it was just, uh, it all, all the pieces kind of fit together and it made sense. And um, that's how 3K Hit Club was born. So you get to what, write this, you saw the edit of, of what was, what they were going to present or no, you just wrote the, no, wrote I just the wrote piece the song. I and wrote then the they first. came in and, and did and the edit did after the edit after. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was it like, was there, like, how did you approach that? Like, okay, you were going to do a song with three about his 300 hit club. There you go. Well, Good luck. First thing was to go and find <laughs> out about him. You know, uh -huh. um, I know a little bit about him because I follow a little bit of sports, but just to see a little bit of the history and then to see what it takes for someone to get to 3000 hits. Yeah. I mean, it's such an intense thing to understand how to swing the ball. I mean, how to swing the bat and how to hit the ball. Like it's intense. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of it was studying his movement and what he does creatively mm -hmm. and then lending that to what I do creatively. I mean, I, I felt like it had to have this kind of driving thing on the base. So I just, you know, left hand just drives through this, like this whole thing. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's taking the energy and the emotion and being able to tell that story without the words. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. I mean, what you do is so incredible. Like Thank I you. wouldn't have any idea. Like, have you ever thought of like scoring or have you done scoring for films? Absolutely. Or I've done some scoring, but that is definitely, um, I love writing to film. So that is definitely in the future for me. I was gonna say, that seems like something you'd be so fantastic. At. I mean, the fact that you can write these songs with these deep meanings yeah. that with no visual, right at all. Just like, it's all just you coming up with it as it's going like, uh, I wonder if that would take a different part of your brain or if, if that would be easier or more difficult, like seeing something and then responding to it that way. Um, or have you thought of that? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it happens that way. Like uh, uh, there are instances where I've seen things or witnessed things or heard things. And, and like uh, there's a couple of the pieces on Black Book, which are from my own personal experiences, which are things that I've experienced. Like I made her breakfast was about, you know, me thinking I was in love at one point with this girl, you know? So mm -hmm. um, these are all, like all songwriters, we write from our experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but this is just, like I say, writing with no words. I'm, I'm telling the story, but I, I can't tell you in words what it was, but I can tell you an emotion and feeling how it felt. 
And that's kind of where, um, where my songwriting comes from is just uh, being able to dig deeply into emotions. I love that. That's something like that would be so hard for me to do. And just the <laughs> fact that you do it so well, like I'm so, yeah, I, I envy what you do, man. It's awesome. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, and I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for doing yeah. this. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Anytime. <laughs> Real quick. I have a question about behind you. Are those all passes from your, the touring you've done? Okay. So this is great. These passes are, I'm actually at my tour manager's house right now, Okay. Um, who's a good friend of mine, which I went to Full Sail with in 2001. <laughs> so wow. we've known each other for that many years. And uh, I just completed my first tour yesterday. So I'm just here at his house waiting to fly home tonight. Um, and those are his laminates. There was a black box laminate hanging uh, oh, cool. on the side. So it's always good to see. I mean, he's got some pretty epic names up there. Uh, like Alicia Keys and um, Van Halen, and then to have Black Bot, you know, yeah, hanging next to them is so that's cool. That's killer. Yeah. yeah, that is that's a cooler story than what I that you're like. Oh yeah, this is like Justin Timberlake and all these people that you yeah. toured with, but to have your name up there with with all with the groups all that those he's legends with. Yeah. that he's worked with. How cool yeah. is that? Yeah, it's great. how was the tour, by the way? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, the the crowds were amazing. The so receptive, so much love in the room. I mean, there were tears, which is always my goal. My goal <laughs> is to make you feel in a way where you, where it it really brings out something. I mean, to to cry is a release, and mm -hmm. to me, I feel like I've served an audience. If someone has a release, if someone's able to be that much into their feels, that they're able to release some some part of the you know be it happy happiness or sorrow or or what a loneliness or whatever emotion, um, but it was super cool, super fun. Um, New York was great. Uh, I love New York. I love playing in New York City. Um, mm -hmm. So and and the beautiful thing about New York was that for. Um, what now two years now I haven't met my team in person there's so oh, many sure. people that are just on emails or who I've just seen on zooms mm -hmm. and they're all on the east coast in New York so I was sitting in a room we had a meet and greet before and I was sitting in a room with about 30 people and I was just looking around at all my team and I said all these people believe in me and I just I shed like one thug tear it came down the left side oh, it was crazy tear. it was one thug tear and I was just like wow this is so amazing to have these people in a room and be able to hug them and let them know how much I appreciate their time and efforts and energy that they put to helping me bring my vision to life. I love it. Thank you again so much for doing this, Charles. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. uh, my last quick question for you is if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Yes. Take the time to find out who you are. When you find out who you are, it makes it easier for you to present who you are. If you're presenting something that's some that someone else's, then that makes you a silver medalist. You know, mm, you want like to be that. the gold medalist. You don't want to be a silver medalist. Um, you want to be able to present yourself authentically. What we're doing right now, I mean, I always say, like, it's not like the music industry woke up this morning and said, hey, let's promote a black neoclassical pianist from Detroit. <laughs> that didn't happen. So even in that, I'm I'm okay with knowing that what I am doing is me. And I think that's what gives me the power and the strength. And at that point, the music industry is now opening, opening its doors to me because I am authentically who I am. So uh, learn who you are, be who you are, express who you are, and the world will open up.